0: All right, good morning, everyone. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Second Timothy uh, chapter 3. I think that's my namesake in the Bible. So Second Timothy chapter 3. I think most of us would agree that we live in a world of incredibly, incredible uncertainty, a world of accusation. Uh, A world where information is regularly presented with bias from various political perspectives driven by historical prejudices and long and deep-seated resentments. A world where wildfires can be blamed on three equally guilty parties. Where political hit jobs are the norm for both sides of the aisle. It is the human condition. It's not a party's condition. Where election results are unclear, where there are endless probes, where the. At the end of the day, here's what you find yourself saying What is true? Because I live in a world of serious confusion about things that once were very clear, now there is a complete lack of clarity. And so this question begins to emerge What is true? It's a question that Pilate asked as he stood before Jesus because of the the frustration of of the human condition, of the human experience, a desire to know what is right, what can you build your life upon. Today's text makes one thing very, very clear in an uncertain world, and it is this, that the church is to be a place for truth. It's a place where you should come and on a regular basis expect to receive a healthy, well-prepared diet of biblical truth, where truth is treasured and proclaimed, where it is sung and where it is spoken, where it is prayed and where it is believed. That's what the church is to be, a place for truth. The text that I want to look at today is in, in the context of what we call the pastoral epistles. So if you were to read through 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, you would find that most of the the instruction deals with leadership in the context of church life. It's a bit of a, a manual, if you will, for what the church should be like. And our series that we're going through is on church matters. And one of the things that matters in the life of the church is the place of truth that she is called to be. And so I want to read through this text. I want you to begin with me, kind of start in the middle of a paragraph, verse 14, Paul speaking to Timothy, who was his son or disciple in the faith. And here's what Paul says to Timothy, verse 14. He says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those that you heard it and learned it from. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, and that'll be the kind of the, the central uh, topic of, or subject of our discussion today. You've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for a salvation through faith in Jesus. And verse 16 hits the nail right on the head. All scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge faithfully implied all the duties of your ministry." So this morning, I want us to work our way through this text, which has as its main subject the Word of God. Now, unfortunately, I, when I preach now, I type all my text out. I copy it from Bible Gateway in age-appropriate font size. So I, I'm not going to be able today to hold up my Bible and say, this is the Word of God. This sheet has the Word of God printed on it, and to me, that is an amazing and astonishing reality. But laying on our laps is something that is called the Bible or the Scriptures, all right? That is the, the, the theme, that is the topic of this passage, and it's that that we want to go after today, that the church is to be the place where the Bible and Scripture is preached and taught on a regular basis. It is to be fundamentally the place for truth. So let me give you a definition for this word, Scripture, that is used in most of your translations. Literally, it is the writings or the letters. But it's writings and letters that are of a specific class. They are holy writings and letters that, in, in our understanding, make up the Old and New Testament of the Bible. 66 books, 39 in the Old, uh, 29 in the, er, er, 27. You've got to get to 66. I can't do that math in public. Okay. <laughs> So that that makes up what is understood to be the Word of God or the Bible or the Holy Scripture. So when Paul writes to Timothy here and says, all Scripture is God-breathed, Paul is more than likely referring to the Old Testament books, what was received to be the Word of God, understood and proven to be the Word of God, and then the New Testament writings have probably by this point begun composition but are not yet complete. Okay, so it's fairly certain Paul is referring to what we would call the Old Testament books of the Bible. All right, and they are in his mind the authoritative, truthful, and infallible Word of God. So when we talk about Scripture, that's the topic that we have today. Now, what Paul then does is he goes on to explain to Timothy the nature and impact of biblical truth. So what I want to do is walk through a couple assertions that Paul's going to make to Timothy about the Word of God. The first one is, all Scripture is, what's the text say? God breathed. Okay? To be God breathed means that it has divine origin. Okay. It is the breath of God. Something you probably understand from anatomy, physiology, is that when you speak, you exhale, you're breathing out. Okay. So the Word of God is by Paul designated to be the very breath of god we say to someone don't breathe another word meaning i don't want to hear anything from you okay when we come to scripture it is the breath of god it is the word of god that is an astonishing claim that the apostle paul makes in relationship to biblical truth Uh, one of the words that we use historically is we say the bible is the inspired word of god it is the breathed into word of God. What we mean by that is not that it is inspiring in nature, though it is. Okay, my wife is a large fan of the Hallmark Channel. And I, I, I just, so one day I want to do a survey amongst men and women in our church, husbands and wives. I want to find out if most men find the Hallmark Channel to be less than desirable. Okay, I say to my wife, honey, every story starts and ends the same. I can't take it. But every time I walk in the house, the inspiring channel is on. Okay? So honey, you watching it? No, I I just like that in the background. It's inspiring. Okay? That's not what we mean when we say the Bible is the inspired word of God, though it is. What we mean is it is the breath of God. It is God's truth for us. The Old Testament and New Testament writers had this understanding. And this is one of those claims that Paul makes that it's good for you to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Paul says it's God's very word. It's God's breath. Is that the way the rest of the writers of Scripture understood the Bible? I'm just going to give you three examples. Second 2 Second Samuel 23, 2. David says, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And his word was in my tongue. And you get this understanding that as David was recording Scripture, there was an understanding that what he was recording was in fact the very word of God. An astonishing claim. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. When you received the word of God from us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God that works in you who believe. So that as I read this book that sits on our laps, I am hearing from God. Incredible statement. First Peter 1, 20 and 21, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by any prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the word of men. But men spoke from God as they were guided by the Holy Spirit so that the end result is an accurate and trustworthy Bible that you can build your life on for the glory of God. These are the essential, basic understandings of what it is that lies in front of you this morning with all of those words and all of those chapters and verses and books that makes up something that the New Testament clearly calls the Word of God. It is divine in origin as a result of being God-breathed, and also as a result of being God-breathed, it carries God-given authority. It is His Word. So that what is written is to be regarded as God-speaking. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, he says, Your statutes are my delights. They are my counselors. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than all of my teachers because I meditate on your word. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. You're going to find this. There, there's going to start to rise in our discussion this idea of hearing and obeying God's word and the incredible difference that it makes. So much so that the writer of the Psalms can say... It makes me wiser than those that are more intelligent than me. And that is a a truth you kind of got to get a grip on. It's possibly less intelligent than someone and yet wiser than them. Because you know the truth of God's word. That is only true if you find yourself responsive to the truth that you know. So the Word of God is, is it's God's very Word and carries God-given authority. That is, that it is to rule over our lives. When we rightly understand God's Word, we have the blessing of truth in our lives. And that, to me, is amazingly encouraging in a world that is, by nature, very complex. The question a student of God's Word should ask is not, what does it mean to me or to you? The question we should be asking is, what did God intend to say? Because what it means to me may or may not be relevant and true. But what it says and what God intended to communicate has the power to alter and change your very existence. Our aim as we come to the Word of God, which is authoritative in God's very Word, is to discover what God intended to say and do it. So all preaching should be a journey in discovering what a specific text is saying. All Bible reading should be done to say, what does it say? What did it mean to the original hearer? How does that change my life? Simple steps that help me to to gain clarity and application in my life. Because it is, in fact, God's word and it carries divine authority. Because it is God breathed. So this text this morning. The Word of God, all Scripture, is inspired by God. What does it say? It's God-breathed. What does that mean? It's God's Word. How does that apply? I listen to it and I obey it on a consistent basis. Okay, I just want you to see those three simple steps applied to this text. So as I studied this, I looked into what does it mean to be God-breathed? What are the implications of that? How does that affect my life? That's, that's all we're doing on Sunday morning. Okay, I went to a lot of school to learn how to do that. All right? And I want you to know that every believer can go through that process as you study and read the Word of God and understand context and start to put together God's truth that will change and transform your life. I should believe it and obey it in all circumstances. The second thing that he says, so it's the Word of God. Secondly, Paul makes the assertion that it is useful, okay? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. And then he lists four ways that the Word of God begins to impact our lives. Now, my 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 main focus this morning is not to try to unpack every one of those words, but to cause you to realize that the Bible gives practical instruction that is beneficial. I think that's probably a, a more helpful word, that if I understand and begin to apply the Word of God to my life, there are certain benefits that flow out of that observing and applying God's truth. So I have something in front of me that if I would dive into it on a regular basis, it will begin to transform my life. It's useful, it's beneficial as compared to much of what we watch and read. I haven't found, like, for instance, Facebook to be beneficial. Okay, it may be informational, but I haven't heard many people argue, oh, no, this is really beneficial. But we spend a lot of time in something that does provide benefit while ignoring the thing that could change our life. And that said, that said, we should have more Bible time than we do screen time. Okay? And I just challenge you, because I get eaten up, watching foot- me, ask my wife about football on Sunday. She, it's my downtime, okay? She gets irritated. She wants the Hallmark Channel on, but... <laughs> Since I'm the guy, I have the remote, so... It's the way it's supposed to work, right? I was kind of kidding. Okay so the word of god is useful it teaches as you read it truth emerges it rebukes it shows me who i am with great clarity and much pain as you read it and say god show me who i am show me where i fall short it will it will begin to, to rebuke to to confront improper behavior in our lives and then i love what it says next because that correcting can be painful but it also says that it, it that rebuking can be painful but it corrects The word literally means to grab someone who has stumbled by the hand and pull them back to their feet. That's a great picture. You've probably been around someone that stumbled. Your initial response is to do what the Word of God does to us spiritually. It reaches down, it takes us, and it pulls us to our feet. And that feeling of being reintegrated spiritually, that feeling of being restored before God, is one of the most glorious and beautiful effects of God's Word. It says, don't do that. It pulls us back and says, do this. That's how the word of God works. And that's one of the the reasons I hope you come on Sunday morning expectant that the word of God will reprove, rebuke, and correct. That it will wound you and it will heal you. It will will sting you and it will sing to you. It will reorient and redirect what gets messed up in our lives. Carmelo talked about this a couple Sundays ago. We come together on Sunday morning because we're needy people who need the word of God applied to our messy lives so that they can be straightened out and look more like Christ. The word of God is useful. Psalm 119, one of my favorite verses, how can a young man keep his way pure? Every parent sending their child off to school or to high school or college, whatever it is, is asking the question, I pray that my child will be protected. How can they keep their life pure and honorable? Here's what David says, by keeping it according to your Word. So as a parent, I have to know that truth so that I can pass it on to the next generation. As a believer, I need to know that truth so I can live it on a daily basis. And when I have it, and I get it, and I live it, I'm wiser than all my counselors. I'm wiser than all my teachers. They may be more intelligent, but it does not mean that I have to live life more successfully than a believer who is saturated in the Word of God. One writer said this. He said, the Bible is This is an acrostic, okay? The Bible is basic instruction before leaving earth. It's simple truth. It's basic instruction for believers until Christ comes and takes us home. Okay, so lay hold of it. Love it like you love a manual that's going to unfold something that becomes so productive and amazing in your life that you will be amazed. And then the, so, so it's the word of God, it is useful, and it is, this text says, adequate. Notice what he says. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, makes my life pure, so that the servant of God, anyone committed to following Christ, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isn't that beautiful? This this book will fit your life for honorable service to God and for the benefit of your community. If, if, I know it and put it into practice. You see, the problem often in the church is not that we don't know the truth. The problem is that we don't apply it. A full mind doesn't change your life. A full heart will change your life. Let God work at the deepest level of who you are with this adequate word of God. That causes us to be up to the task of wise godly living because as you read the word of god it has a shaping influence it promotes and it prompts godly character as you listen to it and say what does it say what does it mean how does that affect my life i'm going to give you one simple principle that they use in the church planning work in india one of the the, the, the concerns of of well-established missionary groups is How do you you handle an organization, a a church planting movement that is growing at such a, a fast rate? You do it by asking a simple question. You get the Word of God into people's hands and you ask a question and you teach them to ask a question. What must I do in light of this portion of Scripture to be a follower of Christ? Okay, that question, should run through your mind as you listen to the word of God on a weekly basis, as you sit in a Sunday school class, as you sit before the word of God in your personal devotions. What must I do in light of this text to follow Christ? And as you begin to ask that question, you will find that your life fundamentally begins to change and it gets better because that word from God is useful and able to change you. Now, So that's what it is. The word of God, it is useful and it is adequate. It is a complete instruction book for godly living. That's what's there. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Why does Paul take the time to say what probably Timothy already knew? He had heard Paul preach numerous times. He had been discipled personally by Paul. Why does Paul in his last letter take time to to spend a section of that last letter to talk about Something that is already on the face known. Why? I think the answer you'll find as you go a little further in the text. Paul says to Timothy, and it's it's a bit of a climactic feel in the text, verse 4. It says, in the presence of God and of Christ. I don't know about you, but to me, Paul's engaging in rhetoric or theater. Can I say it that way? In the presence of God and Jesus, okay? And assume that the Holy Spirit is breathing this truth. So the Trinity is present. In that setting, think think of yourself before God, Timothy. In that setting, and then he's going to ramp it up a little bit, who will judge the living and the dead, meaning we all stand one day accountable to him for our obedience to his word who will judge the living and the dead, and in light of his appearing, and all you have to do is do a quick survey through the New Testament, what you're going to find is that the idea of Christ appearing is always blazing, it's climactic, it's it's life-altering, it changes everything. So Paul says to Timothy, imagine yourself in God's presence. In light of that, I give you this charge This is not Paul saying, Timothy, I have some ideas for you. This is not a suggestion from Paul. This is a charge. This is a mandate. This is a call. This is an obligation, a duty to respond. What's the duty? Preach the word. I love the simplicity of this text. Timothy, preach the word, the entire word of God. Preach it faithfully, preach it regularly, preach it accurately, don't import your ideas into it, say what God said, and let that begin to change and affect and develop the people of God. In the ancient world, the word preach meant to send out a herald. Last couple of weeks, we've been watching the tragedy in California with the wildfires, And one of the things that was often lacking was a call to evacuate for various reasons. That's not placing blame anywhere at all. It's just to say that I heard that some of this fire was traveling at 80 football fields a minute in speed. Okay? So there was, what did the people need for lives to be saved? They needed a herald, a clear directive, not a suggestion, not a wish, but a clear call. Run for your life. That's what Paul does to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, Timothy, flee youthful lust. That's a call. That's a charge. Preserve your spiritual life. This text, the focus is preach the word. We as pastors are not called to share our opinions because our opinions have zero authority. So anytime we're preaching... And you hear opinion. Sometimes we're going to admit that it's opinion. Sometimes we slip into giving our opinion. Disregard it. It does not carry authority. There is no obligation to do what Tim Hoff thinks or says. None. But when Tim Hoff, as a pastor at the chapel at Warren Valley, is expositing or giving clarity to the Word of God, there is authority because of what is being explained and described. It's not inherent in the individual. It's inherent in the message. So it is a call. It is a passionate plea. It is for Paul to Timothy's solemn pastoral advice. Timothy, this is the most important thing you do. Preach the word above everything else. Preaching is in this sense distinct from a Sunday school lesson. It is distinct from a teaching. It is by definition an alarm, a focused call to action. So what we're seeking to do on Sunday morning is to hone in on a particular theme, subject, proposition, and to call you by the grace of God to move in the direction of obedience to that call, to that specific plea. The pulpit is to be a place for truth. The task in context is explained in three more words, correct, rebuke, and encourage. It is an urgent proclamation that is called for that confronts bad behavior and motivates to specific action and as a result brings hope for change, freedom, and victory. Okay, It is meant to say, as you flee from the danger, you will find true, lasting life in Christ. Okay, so the aim of preaching is, yeah, is it supposed to convict me? Is it supposed to hurt in a good way? The answer is yes. But at the end of the day, it's the call to obedience with the idea of hope for change. That's what a proclamation does. It calls you to love the Word of God in this context, to read it and to apply it, so that you become thoroughly equipped to be God's man, God's woman, God's young person in the setting that God placed you in in life. That's what the Word of God will do. It will in a beautiful way, change you. And then I love what Paul says to Timothy. He says, do this with great patience and careful instruction. I don't know about you, but one sermon did not do it for me. I needed to hear it on a repeated basis. Okay, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ gathering. We gather so that you don't hear our opinions, but so that you can hear just a little bit more of God's truth. Why is it that Paul is so strong on this? This? Why does this text single out preach the word? You know what he says right after that? He says, be ready in season and out of season? The idea simply is this: when it is acceptable to people, and when it is unacceptable, when it increases your popularity, when it decreases your popularity. It's irrelevant. Your job as a preacher is to preach the word of God, because that's what you as the church so desperately need from us. Why is it strong? Verse 3 tells us why the call is clear and repeated here. You notice that three of the words are repeated, right? Correct, reprove, and encourage, right? The, the three time, two times those words come up. Do it with great patience. Why, Timothy? For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Does that sound familiar? The time will come when truth about much of the very basic morality of a culture will be out of style. Okay? We're there. In an age when many churches have moved away from biblical truth to saying what people want to hear. Where people stick their finger in the air and try to figure out which way the masses are blowing so that they can attract them. And you end up with a message that no longer represents the word of God. That's the hazard that Paul says to Timothy, you need to be careful that you don't start to teach for popularity, but that you teach for life change through truth. That's what I need. The the best sermons I've ever heard have cut me and healed me. It's the way God's Word works. And that wounding hurts good. It's beneficial to have the Word of God unpacked and applied to my life. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't modify or replace truth or water it down to make people feel better because all you end up with then is the Hallmark Channel. You end up with, sorry, my notes don't say that. My notes say you end up with Christmas without Christ or an Easter story without the reality of victory over death. And I want to tell you something. In many churches today in America, that is what is taught. That Christmas is just a beautiful story of giving and the resurrection is simply a beautiful story of overcoming hard circumstances. That to me is Sad. And it grossly misrepresents what the Word of God intends to say. And what's Paul saying to Timothy? Timothy, when people disagree with what you're saying and criticize what you're saying, because it is truth, don't let go. Continue to proclaim biblical truth because that is what people desperately need to hear. Verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, or verse 4, he says, They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the mist. They will have itching ears. They will want things that are novel, interesting, encouraging, but not true. But not true. You know, a few months ago, my brother went to see a doctor, and uh, he had symptoms. He had increasing abdominal discomfort. And then functional issues as a result of that discomfort. What my brother wanted to hear was you're fine. Start eating more ice cream, chocolate, and go to McDonald's more. That'd be my perfect diagnosis. No. What the doctor had to say to my brother was the truth. And the truth for my brother was you have cancer. And untreated, it will kill you. It will terminate your life prematurely. Give me a break, doctor. Settle down. Don't get so excited. But it was true. A good doctor will always give you the hard truth so that you can move from where you are sick to being a healthy person. The pastor that charms you, that constantly tells you how great you are and your life will be, is a liar. Okay? I'm not great. I'm a sinner who finds hope in a great Savior. That's an accurate diagnosis that exalts the cross of Christ. And allows, as Paul says in verse 5, Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. That's his call. Timothy, as you preach the Bible, Christ will emerge as the center of the Bible. So folks, as we work our way through text of Scripture, where do we always end up? We always end up at the cross. And I always find at the cross an accurate diagnosis and hope. My brother knew there was a serious problem all of a sudden. And he needed truth. He didn't need someone to tell him he was fine. He needed someone to tell him he was sick and in need of help and that he needed to obey the directives of the doctor to find health. Praise God today, my brother, is, by God's grace, uh, in a place free from cancer. The good doctor knows that he must wound before he can heal people. How do we do it in the context of church life? Now just Here's what we do on a weekly basis, what we strive to do it imperfectly, but this is what we strive to do. We strive to do what we call expository preaching. Expository simply means to expose the text. So we don't go through the Bible and try to find verses that say what we want to say that given Sunday. That is not the job of a pastor. Paul will say to Timothy, Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed because he rightly divides and applies the word of truth. That's the job. So during the week, what do we do? I print out the text on a piece of paper because I struggle reading it in the book. And I, I don't go back to, I have preached on this text before, I'm sure. I do not, not go back to other texts. I don't listen to other sermons. I don't open commentaries. I sit down with that. I could show you, if you ever want to see my notes, I'll show them to you, okay? I guarantee you, you can't read them. Because like a week later, I'm like, my writing is horrific, but what I do is I print it out. This is what I printed out to preach from, and then I, I, I dissect and write notes all over. I know uh, I was talking to Doug last week. He was block diagramming the text that he was speaking so he could see the flow of it. And Doug does a great job of walking you through the narrative of the text, right? And you see the flow, and you understand, okay, where it starts, where it ends, what I'm supposed to do. Okay, so on a weekly basis, uh, that's what I'll do. Prayerfully go over that text, trying to understand what was Paul's intent in this text. I think Paul's intent in this text that I'm preaching today was Timothy faithfully preached the word of God. And when you do, you get to Jesus. And that's what people need. Okay, so that, that's what, and I, all I do when I'm, I'm studying is I ask, what does it say? What did it mean to the original audience? Because God had a message for them. How does that message transfer to where I live today? Okay? That will make you a Bible teacher. Okay? Study the text like that. What is the chapel? I have people ask me this all the time. Here's how I describe it from the implications of this message. Here's what I say to people. And I just try to put it in the most simple terms possible. I say our goal, because when people say what is the chapel, there's an assumption that you are already arrived at what you're supposed to be. I don't live with that illusion. Not in my personal life, not in my church life. Okay? Our goal is to be a biblical church with sound teaching and beliefs. A biblical ter- church with sound teaching and beliefs. A church that is saturated in biblical truth. It is what we sing, and it is what we teach, and it's what we preach. It is to be the the topic of all that we do. It is to be the the ground, the the, the beachhead, the, the base from which we spring into life. And when I say that, I'm not saying that we are already that, but that that is our stated aim. Remember what we said, the goal is progress, not perfection. That's true for every church as well. That our goal is to be more and more biblically saturated and biblically centered and biblically accurate. So there have been times in our history as a church where we've gone back to our belief statement, our statement of faith, and we've made adjustments to that. Not because truth changed, but because we believe that our understanding of what God's word was saying changed in our understanding enough that it merited a change in the doctrinal statement. That That doctrinal statement is not authoritative. Its source is. Okay? Doctrinal statement is not the Bible. It's not the Word of God. The Bible is. So, our goal is to become a biblically-based church. Pastor James has a great God-given gift in counseling. The kind of counseling that he practices is called biblical counseling. Okay? The goal of that counsel is to take the truth of god's word to make it clear and to apply it in people's lives that's what always makes for a great counselor and a great preacher so how does this apply then to our lives i'll give you these three action points so there's a call to action this morning number one is this since we have the charge from god to preach the word how does the church respond first thing you should do is pray for your pastors that they would preach the word of God. Pray that God would give us clarity as we study, as you drive to church on Sunday morning. Pray that the spirit of God would show up in a way that is clear as he takes the truth that is proclaimed and begins to transform lives through it. Pray your heart out that that would happen. That will transform our church. And as the church changes, the community changes for the glory of God. Pray that the chapel would be a place for truth in a world of incredible contention and confusion. Secondly, and I think this is the logical outcome, if the job that we're given, the task we're given as pastors is to preach the truth because it's that important that we hear the Word of God, then every member of a local church, every participant in a local church should commit to regularly attending the service where the Word of God is preached unless providentially hindered. That's like preaching to the choir, right, because you're here. But I want to encourage you to not make the mistake of overvaluing other activities and things. Nothing else in the Bible is raised to this level. Nothing. And the assumption is this. If I'm called to preach the word of God, there's an assumption that there's an audience there who's listening to the word of God. And look, I'm, I'm, I'd be, I'm going to be very honest with you this morning. As a pastoral team, as a leadership team, there are times that we ask that question. Okay, why, why are things spotty at times? Okay, it's, I'm just telling you a discussion that comes up. Why light one week, heavy next week? And Part of that is there is providential hindrances. There are. I grew up in a family where we didn't plan to be away from the church. If you're away on vacation, you work responsibly. I understand that stuff. But in my family, where I was raised by a dad who taught me the word of God by how he lived. Being in God's house, it was never something I thought of saying, hey, I'm not going today, dad. That would have never entered my mind. It was just part of our life. I've had people often say to me, boy, I wish I grew up like you did. I particularly hear it from people who trust Christ a little bit later. And I said, you know what? It's, I am thankful to God that as Timothy from a child, I knew the Holy Scriptures. I was, I was in a place where I could hear truth and put it into practice. I don't get sometimes why we devalue the gift of hearing God's truth. I don't get that. Because this text tells me that it is profitable, it is useful, it is God's Word. It's what I desperately need to hear. So I would encourage you to evaluate your commitment to being present and to make a stronger commitment to say, you know what, I, I, for my kids, I want God's house and God's truth to be a priority. Then don't water it down with multiple obligations and commitments. Make sure that it is a centerpiece to what you're striving to do with your family. I, think, I Honestly, I mean this. I, I have often said to my wife, would he, we even be married today If I didn't know Christ, her answer is no. (laughs) I I am just thankful that it was raised in a context where God's truth was ever-present. Did we meet too many times a week? We probably did. Probably did. We were there a lot. We're not asking for a lot, something out of bounds. We're asking for you to just look at this text and say, if God's calls for the pastor to preach the word because it's that important, then my presence probably matters. Not so he has someone to talk to, okay, but for life change. And the last thing I would encourage you to do is every Sunday ask the question, as you go today, to say, what do I need to do this week to be a follower of Jesus in light of what I heard today? Am I treasuring the word of God? Am I in there on a regular basis? Am I asking what it says, means, and how it applies? Is it changing me? Is there an area in my life where I've been resisting? You know, sometimes we come and we know we got this closet full of crap that needs to be exposed. The door needs to be opened. The life needs to be cleansed, set free, and hope given. That's what preaching aims to do. It aims to change our lives. And believe me, there are many times in preaching that the clarity is much greater than sitting at my desk and I'm like, okay, God, that was convicting. So let it change you. Close the gap between what you know and how you live. That gap is called hypocrisy. And it's what drives the world away. Close the gap between truth and Tim. Okay, let the Spirit of God do that in your life. You know, one of the purposes that we come to the Lord's table for this morning is to be reminded of truth. Because here's here's a cool thing. Jesus said, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Which is to say what? Every time you eat these elements, you're preaching a sermon about Jesus, about his cross work. You know, at the end of this text, Paul says, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Preach the Bible so much that the person, the central figure of it, begins to explode out in a way that is life-changing for hearers. This morning, With the privilege of making a proclamation. Here's what Paul said. That proclamation Jesus Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. Paul says that proclamation is foolishness to those who reject it. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So I hope that as you partake of the elements, you will think deeply enough about the message they communicate that it becomes for you today. The power of God saving, redeeming, changing, Christ proclaiming so that your life is changed. That's the beauty of it. This is not a ceremony. It's a proclamation that hopefully will change our lives. Maybe you're here today you've never trusted Christ. You just, but hearing the word of God and hearing Christ crucified has been drawing. Respond to what God is doing in your life. Say a bold yes to God. Say, God, in the name of Jesus, I want to be cleansed, forgiven, and changed. Apply your capable word to my heart with the central message of Christ so that my life is forever, literally forever, changed. If you've never trusted Christ and encouraged, just let it pass. If it doesn't have that meaning to you, just let it pass. No one's looking. Okay? But if you trust trusted Christ, here's what the Bible says when you come to this table, when you come to this proclamation of forgiveness through the blood of Christ, examine yourself. And then eat of that bread and drink of the cup. I think here's the implication, very simply. Examine yourself to find the sin that is present because most of us have sin in our lives. It's at all different levels. Sometimes it's glaring and obvious. Sometimes it's very quiet and subtle. The text is calling you to examine yourself. Confess what you need to confess. And then it's in the imperative. Eat that bread and drink that cup. And so proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Treasure Christ. Treasure that you're forgiven. Treasure that you're free. Treasure that you're a child of God. That's what communion is. So as it's passed, be thinking. What is it that God is showing me today? What does he want to change in my life? Where have I been resisting the call of his word? Change it. In your heart, pray, say, God, that today is changing. And then eat that bread and drink that cup in celebration of the change that Christ brings. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Oh, God, your truth is powerful and glorious. Help us as pastors to preach and live. Help the beautiful people of this church to decide today to do what they need to do as a follower of Christ and light of your truth in every area. Authoritative word of God. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.